you are listening to the empowering indian expats podcast if you are an indian living abroad feeling stuck in an average 9 to 5 or a job or business that's not helping you reach your full potential this is the podcast to tune in where you will find your role models and learn from their dream struggle victory stories this is your host asan ali a long time it professional living in sydney australia who has made it his mission to find and unpack the stories strategies and life lessons of successful and inspiring indian expats to help you and i reach our full potential today's guest is an inspiring woman whose expertise in behavioral transformation and change management has helped many organizations and individuals all over australia she is also a peak performance coach and an award winning master trainer specializing in nlp and hypnotherapy i have personally attended her training on executive communication and i have sent dozens of my team members to get trained by her in taking their communication and in influencing skills to the next level She moved to Australia with her parents as a teenage girl that was almost 3 decades back. Even then she had challenge getting her first job after graduation. But she found out a way. Later on she excelled in corporate world then took a break to raise her kids and when she came back after a couple of years rather than feeling low about the gap she started much more strongly earned more than her peers who had not taken any break. Not only that she soon set up her own business and made it a success and she has been evolving since then as a businesswoman as well as a wonderful human being the story of preeti shekhar is on the empowering indian expats podcast there is a lot to learn from her especially her approach to parenting building career uh, transitioning into business and developing exceptional long term relationships Welcome to Empowering Indian Expats podcast, Preeti. Thank you so much, Ali. We want to get a lot from you today in terms of what it takes to succeed in this uh, environment. But I would start with uh, one question: What are you most excited about in your life and career right now? What am I most excited about? I think COVID has presented such a fabulous opportunity in breaking down many walls. So, in one regard, it created this platform for. waves of change within organizations and waves of change that people all of a sudden are just ready to embrace and go on a roll with the waves of change has meant it within my own business that we can transcend organizational walls we can transcend all sorts of physical walls and reach people that we've never reached before i'm very excited about being able to influence people's personal transformation like we never have um pretty will take you back to uh, your early days in australia so you said you moved to australia when you were about 17 18 what was the change like when we moved uh, from india went to new zealand the children that we interacted with hadn't been exposed to that this is 1992 so people would look at my brother and i like we were some very strange animals from a different planet and within the schools we went to they hadn't seen an indian before and definitely not in close proximity people were very intrigued by all the differences that we brought into this environment how did we feel about that it was sometimes isolating and offensive with some of the questions it wasn't just the children we felt the adults did not understand the differences as well did not necessarily appreciate 
the feedback that I was receiving, which wasn't very positive or lovely or, or, or comfortable, uh, I just moved through it and go, okay, well, I'm doing year 10, 11, 12 there. I get through this period and I'm going to focus on what I can take out of this moment that I can then take into the future to build something better. Um, so I was very happy to finish school <laughs> and move on to university days. And then you moved to Australia. We did, because we lived in Hawke's Bay and we all have to leave home to anyway go to uni in Hawke's Bay, from Hawke's Bay. So I would have had to go to Wellington or Auckland or Christchurch or various big cities. So for me, I had to leave. And because of the experiences I had for me, New Zealand coming from India, felt so small. So I wanted to get out. So I talked to my parents that I wanted to go to Australia and they decided, yeah, well, that sounds like a good idea. So being good, amazing Indian parents, the whole family moved. Whole family moved. That's it. The whole family moved, including the dog. And you did your uni in hospitality? Mansions, yes. And yes. you deal mostly in IT industry. Well, yeah, so I did hospitality management is what I began with. But then the second, third year onwards, it all became all about human resources. When I finished my degree, then it became all about neuroscience and neurolinguistics. I think the reason I was very drawn to hospitality management was because for me, adventure is a huge value. And being of service is something I hold very close to my heart. And I think being in the hospitality industry teaches you that. I worked in hotels throughout my, uh, the course of my degree. I worked in Hotel Intercontinental and I worked in varying capacities in the hotel itself. And it, the service that when you, you learn to serve another um, in a way that only can be experienced if you work within the industry, I think. But I carry that with me in everything I do. I've noticed that, I've experienced that uh, all the people I sent uh for your training they have experienced that and uh, I, i've come to understand only today where the whole thing is coming from tell us about your early days of career i'll take us back a little bit into the application process when i started applying as a graduate it was the most depressing process so now we are in, well 1999 so when i was at university as head of student council there were lots of leadership roles that I held and I couldn't understand now that I finished the degree and I couldn't land myself an interview. And my brother and I and my parents, we were just talking over dinner and I shared my frustration. And there was just this moment I said, do you think it's my name, Dad? Do you think my name's really Indian and maybe that's why they're not really calling me in? And he said, could be. Dad's always honest with us kids. And he said, it doesn't feel good to admit it, but could be. And I said, okay. So Dad said, so what are you going to do? I said, I'm going to stop sending in applications. I'm going to call them. You know, this is pre-internet. So I'm going to call them and see what happens. Maybe if they hear the way I sound, it might be different. Landed seven interviews. Every call that I made equaled an interview. Now, my first graduate position was at Candle IT as a uh, executive search consultant. Did six months there and saw the inside. And can I say so sadly that my thought process was accurate because when I was being trained, one of the instructions I was given was if the name sounds very complicated, put aside, they probably can't speak English. Now, this is, of course, we are in 2021. Australia has evolved much and I doubt it's like that these days, or at least to that degree. Still so, something to take away from uh, that 
experience you went through, Preeti. You said it was 1999. You sent your resume, no calls. And no then, calls. Then you decided to call. I believe that still holds good. True. Yeah. The only doubt I have in my mind, when you were calling, by then you had picked up the local accent. But a lot of people who come here with a thick Indian accent, do you think they will still have the same problem? Well, here's the thing. Firstly, I'll address the accent conversation. So when we migrated to New Zealand, New Zealand accent is much thicker or different and I think harder to understand than the Australian accent. Now, for me anyway, my, our accent began to change within two and a half months of us arriving in New Zealand. We began to adapt a lot faster than cousins who, have come, who had come there, come to New Zealand five years before us. Now, when we, are, when, when we get together in family gatherings, I can still tell you that my accent is probably way more integrated than most of my family members. <laughs> it was a choice. I think there's something even with the way we speak that for us holds us close to our homeland. And I, uh, for me, I didn't feel like if I adapted, it was going to make me any less of Indian heritage. I just felt it would make me more global, more connected with everything, not separate to something. So that's the accent thing. So because my belief is truly that anybody can sound universal. But, you know, it's a choice you make. I worked with a voice coach for a period many years later when I got into business uh, to further train my voice so that it would be even more polished. But th that was my commitment to me. Now, your question was if there are people who are new migrants and they're calling, they will they face bias? Indians these days are holding senior leadership positions in many organizations, especially in IT. They're very respected. I think us, the Indian people bring such skill set that is so scarce. So people pay attention. It just depends on what's the skill set that you're bringing. Can, it, can there be bias held uh, against you? Yeah, possibly. My question is often to, my, to the wider colleague network, when we hear a Scottish person speak, their accent's really thick. Right. When we hear an Indian or a Chinese speak, their accent is thick. Why is there a more of a negative bias when it comes to the Chinese and Indian? And why isn't there as much of a negative bias to someone of a Caucasian heritage? You know, sometimes asking the question raises awareness and people begin to shift my intention for asking those questions from my wider of my wider network is not to critique but to just make people aware that's of right. the biases that we hold that's right that was very insightful we'll move forward so you got in kangal it as a recruitment consultant the biggest thing for me was always i was very lucky because once i finished that i only did that job for six months and then moved into a consulting house uh, called ask consulting and I'm still really dear um, friends with the founder of that organization who was also my mentor for three years. Starting and growing up uh, in a small organization then um, you got married and then you left your job and then you started again but not in corporate career yeah. started with a premium child care business yeah. Uh, do you want to give a little bit of insight in that time because there would be a lot of learning uh, on how you deal with uh, ups and downs of life. 
Yes, indeed. So it was interesting for me when I decided I wanted to be a mother. It wasn't something that that I just that just happened because in as an Indian, you know, with a born with a born of Indian ancestry, it's very much you get married then you have children. I didn't quite see it like that. I got married and then I went. Do I want children? And we, I really had that, and I don't even, I had just a very internal conversation for me. And the reason was, I felt like when I said yes to that, I had to be really prepared in all of my being to have a child. It wasn't just about physically having a baby. It was about, am I really ready emotionally and mentally and physically and in every way for, to, to become a mom? That was, a, that was really serious business. So I figured I should really go back and study. Because I think why are people not required to study to become a parent? They're required to study to drive and study to go and work for somebody else or study to start your business. But become a parent? Anybody can just become a parent. It never made any sense to me. So I went away and actually went back and studied on parents, studied parenting and went back to study children's services. How did you study? Uh, I went to Parsifal College and did their teacher's training program. Seriously? Yeah. I did. I did. It was amazing. I met uh, some incredible women who opened my eyes about mothering, which I would have never had the opportunity to have experienced if I hadn't done that. And that really defined, I guess, how I parented as a as a mother. And um, yeah, invaluable. Would you recommend uh, any would be mother or new mother to always. Do such kind of training? Always, because how do you know? How do you know how to be a parent? Let's face it, we are all going through this journey that is life is complicated enough for ourselves. Now we are expected to direct a little person. <laughs> like, how do you know how to do it? True. You know, so I think it's very important in life to know what you're good at, but equally important to recognize what's not your space. I recognized well before uh, we went, yes, we're going to have a baby that I did not have the skill set. Everything I knew was hearsay, my own personal experience, which sometimes was very broken. And I went, I don't want to carry all this crap into this new person's life. That this is irresponsible. I'm not saying that people out there not having done this oh, are irresponsible, <laughs> but that was my perception from me. And so, yeah, so I went away and did that. My aunt inspired me uh, in that direction. She owns a lot of Montessori schools in India. And she wanted me to start a Montessori business here in Australia. I see. And that triggered my thought even more yeah, as in which methodology do I want to use? I researched Montessori, Rudolf Steiner came up. The more I looked into Rudolf Steiner and compared it to Mont Montessori, Rudolf Steiner appealed to me more. It was much more aligned to my own value system. So I studied Rudolf Steiner and um, best blessing and best gift that I could have given my children, which I now have the luxury after 13 and 16 years, my girls have told me so many times that that was one of the best things that I could have done for them as a mother. So, so you were running the Montessori or the, the childcare and your children were also part of that. Isn't yes, it? because I wanted to be with my babies in the formative years of their lives. And cooking and mothering a child, I found it quite easy, especially mothering the way that I had learned to mother meant that I had a lot of energy and time. And I thought, well, why not? So people would come home and feel really inspired by how we were doing what we were doing. And I thought, yeah, well, I'm actually qualified. So let's extend this. 
and make it a business. So instead of sending my child out there, I had my children with me and yeah, did it that way and actually earned really well. How, <laughs> how, did you, how long did you run that? It was for, it was for about three years. Yes. And the guidance about model and... Um, All came from the college. From yeah. the college itself. Any, yeah. any particular challenge that you face, uh, which would be worth highlighting if somebody is thinking of starting a childcare business? Oh, I think they should go through the proper qualifications and invest the time to understand because there's lots of rules and regulations that they need to be aware of. So yeah, definitely do it the right way and do it properly very lucrative business I, I don't ever feel like you have to do it only that way you know like for me I ran my center um 7 30 in the morning till three o'clock 3 30 I think 3 30 or 4 I can't remember now but it was only a short day but my market uh, like any business knowing who your customer is makes a big difference for me my customer was only from the area and families that were going to send their children to the Steiner school Right. So I had a very niche market. Um, and the reason was I wanted children. These families, did, we just didn't have many facilities at the time that could cater to this niche. So it can makes I, sense. I, can I take it as apart from qualification and everything, um, being business savvy is important. And <laughs> everything starts with having absolute clarity of your niche customer. 100%. 100%. And what do they value? Like for me, it was always about what do they value? So who were my customers? They were reasonably wealthy homes, but even wealthy as in they prioritized health and well-being as the most important. Um, so that's how they raised their children. And they were very happy to spend on a center that would provide organic food and wooden you know, toys that were all natural, no plastic. Uh, it was a very specific kind of uh, center that catering to a very specific kind of parent and child. So it was a community. Right. Did you have to use capital, Preeti? Uh, I did have to use capital. It wasn't a lot. Okay. Uh, it was, but yes, there was an investment. Any, any particular challenge in spite of you plan everything and know everything, business is business. You do get challenges. Any particular challenge that you want to call out? I think with that particular business at that time, the challenges were different. It was actually sourcing products sourcing. Uh, because Australia wasn't quite there when we were not that much into wooden toys and stuff. So for me, a lot of my products came from Europe. Now, so there were other logistical um, annoyances along the way, but the college was very supportive and I had a community of women who were amazing and helped me a lot. So when it comes to business, know your niche, know, you know, what your customers value, but equally also understand that you need a community around you that's supporting you. I was thinking yeah. about it. The moment you yeah. said that a good community, I think that's yeah. absolutely key. Yes, absolutely. indeed. Indeed. So I had other people running other Steiner businesses that became huge support for me. And I can assure you uh, that as a woman, having other women propping you up, other women to lean into, I have found that invaluable through my career. Men and women have played a huge part in my life, but women give me a sense of emotional love and nurturing that i really treasure that's that's so incredible i'm really enjoying the conversation Thank and you. you're throwing so much of value bombs uh, all along now you did your childcare business which went very well uh, then you stopped and then 
you went straight into corporate world or what was the transition like? Okay, so my I was going through some challenges in life at that point with my, within my marriage, which actually required for me to make some big career and life decisions. And that was the beginning of a series of decisions, which was very out of the system and not very, in many regards, especially in uh, 2009 would not have been even earlier, 2007 would not have been seen as very uh, Indian. <laughs> so I had to make a whole series of different decisions that was not something that is easily made. And one of it was wrapping up the childcare center business and getting back into corporate. Having said that, it wasn't just the transition. I think six months before I wrapped it up, I already began to feel like my children were now growing up. Tasha was almost ready for preschool uh, at the Steiner School. And I am someone who needs my brain challenged and stimulated in very different ways. And the childcare center had become fairly, uh, it, I could do it in my sleep. And for me, once I can do something in my sleep, my brain starts searching for the next big challenge. So that was percolating in the background. So I started looking at, well, what else could I be doing to, you know, bring value? And I caught up with a dear friend uh, and he was, the first, he was a tech director when I was at the consulting firm for Cisco. And we caught up and he talked through a problem that he had. All friend, it wasn't a planned meeting. I literally was going down for lunch, bumped into him. He was excited to see me. I was very excited to see him. It was so nice to see a familiar face. While I was away being pregnant, having children, doing all of that, I kept in touch with people by writing these postcards once a year. LinkedIn was introduced, but I wasn't on LinkedIn. I was linked out. But I had a different link, which is these postcards that I'd send out to people I liked through business and life. And so he was somebody I think who received a card from me. Anyway, there was a connection, very excited to see each other, told me about this problem that they were having. And I, it wasn't a very complicated problem given my background in education and consulting and HR. So I looked at it and went, actually here's the solution because they have the academy and they have a problem and they have partners. So I could see you had everything. The whole ego structure was right there. So I was like, how could this possibly be a problem? And he goes, will you come and help me to get this off the ground? And so that was the next uh, many months. And I think it was close to a couple of years of working together and won awards for the program. We had people who were groomed, put through boot camps where they were quickly brought up to speed within six weeks to the same level of a system engineer with two years experience. And um, they were off to offer the gold partners doing amazing work. And that was the beginning of my education uh, training business adventure, really, because once we won those awards and Scott and Rick sort of jokingly said, you should start your own training business. And I went, yes, why? I should. And they said, well, what, what are you thinking? I said, I think you should be my first customer. <laughs> and they went, yeah, sure. Brilliant. <laughs> Fantastic. So today your business is in training, is in change management. Uh, you're also an executive coach. You are an NLP master trainer, hypnotherapy master trainer. And of course, you are a mother of uh, two growing teenagers. Uh, how is all these things working out for you? You asked a really important question, and I'm going to answer what you just asked me with the other question. You said, 
you asked about capital when I started a business and if that's that was a consideration I can't remember exactly the question but there's something about capital when I started the training business my marriage was breaking down rapidly I left when I left the marriage there wasn't a whole lot of assets or anything now with I so in regards to capital zero I had zero capital Somebody asked me what my marketing budget was internally. I cringed and laughed at the same time. And it was just a nervous laugh because I was like, oh my God, I need to have a cap- working capital. I need to have a marketing budget. And I don't have any of that. So how am I going to do this? You know, I don't have a partner, like as an, a business partner. How is this ever going to take off? I tell you what, I knew it was, I was going to be just fine. Um, and I told myself, well, I will speak. Uh, I will speak. And that's how I'm going to market my business is I will become a speaker. And uh, my mom looked at me and she goes, great idea. You should do that. It's going to go really well. My brother was just a darling. And he was like, okay, let's set all this up correctly. And he came and gave me a hand and set things up, my younger brother. And uh, some people in the industry went, that's ridiculous. Uh, Aren't you nervous? And I'm thinking, first, you know, point, note this pretty never ask careful who you share share what with because when you're starting something the last thing you need is other people's nerves becoming part of your baggage so very quickly I stopped sharing and uh, and put my bio out there I put my bio out there this morning let's say on that day and at 2 p.m that afternoon I had a call the inquiry was about could I speak at the CIO forum and the hilarious thing was that morning when I got my bio out, I went out and I had a cup of tea with my mom. And she said, so how's, how do you think this is going to happen? I said, I don't know. I'm going to speak in front of all these CIOs and things will happen. And she goes, CIO, so how's that going to happen? I said, I don't know, mom. They're going to call me and ask me to speak. <laughs> Two o'clock, I was being asked to speak. 40 CIOs uh, on Darling Harbour. That was my first speaking engagement. Today we have... LinkedIn and your own website and marketing. No, it was different times. When you say you put it out, what did you do? Okay, so I called up various associations. So CIO Forum, Australian Computer Society. I looked at all the different associations, different forums, different, and then got my bio out there and said, here I am, this is who I am, and I can contribute to your community. Were you confident enough what you will bring on table? Yeah, I don't... I don't try and preempt too much. And maybe that's a, not the right way to do business. Uh, all that I sometimes, or quite often, I can see the first and the second step very clearly. And the rest is a feeling that, yes, if I do this, then it feels like I'm going to be I'm on the right track. So I don't overcook it. I don't overthink it. I get on and do it. And if the course that I'm on is incorrect, I course correct pretty quickly. Perfect. But at the same time, when you start um, anything new, you have this feeling of uh, inadequacy or am I good enough to do that? Who am I to go in and talk in front of CIOs? I don't have enough experience to influence them. I mean, you may not have those thoughts, but most people have those thoughts. Maybe some point in time you would have got it. So here's something that I definitely get or, or take from my ancestry. And that is whether you're a North Indian, South Indian, East or West, we are brought up with a lot of rituals where we remember our ancestors. 
a lot of people, I think, engage in these rituals as something that you're doing in that moment. For me, I don't think I necessarily sit there and do those rituals accurately by cultural standards. But the way I remember my ancestors is I am just not here as me. I am part of the lineage of who, you know, I'm the result of many generations of, and I am the result of many generations to come. If you roll that up even more, in fact, they're all connected in some regard. Don't ask me how, why I think this way, but it just is always how I have thought. And so my very first speech was actually on leadership. And it was about where I told stories of my great grandmother and my grandmother. My grandmother was the first industrial woman in India. And my great grandmother, uh, her grandmother, so it's my great great grandma, used to run a fleet of ships for the for the British to take their weapons across. Wow. So they lived in Burma. So these are women generations ahead of their time uh, doing business. And yeah, I remember my grandma, she was the only woman ever in any room that she took me to. So I'm not just me. I am a product of much and I'm a product of much to be. So that's, again, dissolves the ego. It's not, I'm not just bringing me. I'm here to tell you a story. It's a suggestion. You take from it what you want. You take from it what what might inspire you to go ahead and take the next two steps, however that looks for you. But it's not about me. I am just a storyteller. I see. That's so, uh, so interesting. So we are not really standing as we or me. I'm standing as a bunch of stories uh, from people who have already gone ahead. And I'm bringing those stories to help my audience rather than me being everything. I just make sure that I am doing my work where I am clean and I am open to receive so I can give. Uh, Now, that's my work, to stay open, to be aware when my ego kicks in and go, step back, (laughs) you know, and constantly being invisible. So that's that's it. So, yeah, for me, standing in front of an audience, a CIO, CIOs, I felt privileged to be there, to be their speaker. But equally, I felt if I am there, then I am the right person. If I am there, whatever comes out, it's the right message for that moment. Right, right. That's fantastic. There's a lot lot that you have given um, in this conversation. I'll quickly go through the last few questions with you. Uh, In terms of business now, as, as, as we talked, you have a training and change management business. You also do executive coaching on high performance and you also do NLP and hypnotherapy. So how does all this fit together uh, in your life? It's only 24 hours that all of us have and you have daughters also to take care of. Yes, yes, absolutely. Firstly, it's a boutique agency. So we don't say yes to every engagement that comes our way. So if we are at maximum capacity, then we don't take on any more. But the beautiful thing is people are always willing to work together. There's a lot of artificially induced urgency in the corporate world. Everything needs to be done yesterday. Does it really? No, it can wait. So often people go, I really need to do this. But there are many ways to skin a cat. So, you know, someone says, I really need to spend this money. It's like, okay, great. So you can spend it now. Let's book in the trainings. And this is our availability. Could it work? We do have a really amazing team of trainers, not just me. Have an amazing team of change consultants, not just me. I often, the change projects lead the change. 
and then bring in change managers, change analysts, communication experts, et cetera, to then sit behind to build a whole team. Most of these people have been trained and groomed and um, we've worked together for a long time. And it's a real privilege to work with any of those people anytime. And so, and they're brilliant at what they do. So that's the corporate side of the business, the change in the training. The NLP side of the business is my uh, is, is, is the personal transformation part of the business. It's very new add-on. It's something I've been qualified to do for a long time. I built the Glass Rock business very much around those pillars as much as I have around things like Prosy and Prosky and Adkar, et cetera. But the neuroscience and neurolinguistics is a huge part of the corporate business. Yeah. But the personal transformation was only bolted on during the COVID year, so last year. Right. So this is the new part of the business. We're currently building out an online program. Once that is done, then we will kick off with the actual trainings, etc. I'm very personally excited about the personal transformation side. Corporates can equally invest on their people through, you know, and have them attend the NLP trainings itself. And I guess the advantage is you have someone who's very much working in corporate delivering those trainings. But my intention when we bolted that on was for people who are wanting more for themselves and not sitting there waiting for their business or as in their organization to bless them and say, yes, now you can go on this training. So this is an investment they're making on themselves because they value themselves and they want to propel their career further, propel their life further, and they are sick of waiting around. So the personal transformation side is something I'm very, very excited about. So yeah. what's the value proposition as such? Uh, individuals who want to go through your NLP training? You know, through your life, you gather a lot of, you know, dust. But that's your car that needs regular servicing. Every machine in your house needs regular servicing. Your laptop needs uh, software updates. Yet as human beings, we don't do any of it. There's no maintenance, you know, so I know you're really huge on health. I'm really huge on health. We invest on it regularly, but people forget actually your mind is so powerful. Your emotions are so fragile and so powerful. And most people have no idea how to work with these two faculties very well, apart from putting more and more and more and more. But there's no emptying out. There's no spray cleaning. There's nothing. So the NLP trainings are very much about spring cleaning yourself so you can get rid of all the gunk, get rid of all programming, get rid of patterns of thinking that's not actually working for you. And really introducing uh, very consciously a new way of thinking and being and working that's going to absolutely accelerate your results, whether it's in your career, whether it's in your life, whether it's in your relationship, whether it's in your finances, whether it's in your health, it doesn't matter which wheel of, uh, which spoke in the wheel of life you're talking about. It's just going to skyrocket everything for you. So it's uh, not a one little thing. It's, 100% will impact positively every area of your life. And is it a program like that many number of weeks or how does that work? It's only seven days. Oh, um, seven so days. only seven, sorry, five days, not even seven. So your the practitioner training is only five days and your, um, your master practitioner training is 14 days. We talked about like, you know, how do, I, how do I break free from hierarchy? How do I break free from the status quo? How do I just get on and have this, uh, weird thing, this incredible courage to just get on and do life in a different way. All of this is in you. It just needs to be dusted off and it needs a good spring clean 
and and uh, the machine needs to be tweaked so it can run as efficiently as possible. We all have such powerful engines that it's just surrounded by gunk um, that just needs to be cleaned up. <laughs> Where can I find more about it? Do you have a website or? Uh... Indeed, yeah, glassrock.com.au. And if you go into the certifications, oh, that's where you will see that. That's where you'll see all of the personal transformation programs. Got it. Got it. Fantastic. One question bothering me is looking at how I do things and how well I'm organized or not organized. When you're running a business, which is a corporate training and change management, even if everything is quite well organized, uh, end of the day, it's uh, only one mind. And uh, where you are focusing on a new business, don't you feel sometimes that you are not able to focus enough in growing your existing business? Yeah, um, so time management is so, it's such a juggle and it's a very fine juggle. So it's really good to know what your values are. Uh, and so you people sort of go, what does values have to do with anything? My number one value when it comes to career, yeah, let's talk about life. My number one value is all around soul growth. It's I'm not being religious, it's just my number one value. So when I think about it that way, I have immense capacity as a mother, but I don't mother so my children can be dependent on me. My entire mission in life, since they're tiny, tiny tots, is how can I make sure their wings are strong so they can fly? And so that's a very different type of mothering. I don't need constant reassurance from my children that how much I'm needed. I actually get thrilled when they don't need me, which in itself is quite freeing in time. The next thing is existing business versus new business. It's really important for anybody else doing it, which I'm sure you do, but if you're considering it, the biggest consideration is what is bringing in the bread and butter? So you can never take your eyes off that. So that always is going to be number one priority while you're growing the baby. So the baby needs time too, but the way I do it is every week, the baby gets X number of hours. Yeah. And, uh, but that number of hours can be flexible and it can happen at different times in the day. But yeah. the main business always takes uh, priority yeah. and precedent. There are going to be times where it's not possible. Mm. Be gentle and come Be back. gentle with yourself. <laughs> <laughs> Any particular habit that you believe is really important to build such a fast life and still be calm and gentle and compassionate? Meditate. Meditate. Meditate, okay. Meditate. So for me, I am ecstatic when I can get my two hours to meditate. Then, um, two hours? Two hours, but it's not possible always. Like right now, I'm going through a patch where 15 minutes is a luxury. So 15 minutes it is. Again, I'm just gentle and compassionate with myself and go, okay, I've got 15 minutes. So I'm going to take this 15 minutes. And any specific uh, model that you use for meditation? Yes, I do. I actually work with a lady called Amanda Guggenheimer, and she is absolutely amazing. And I very much work with her, her um, meditations and but equally, you know, you can you can very, just go into stillness. So sometimes I don't have even 15 minutes. Uh, if the girls are keep, things are happening in their life, which is really busy, um, and my partner's got things happening, which is it's, it's like life happens, you know. So yeah. then I might grab two minutes, three minutes, five minutes, wherever I am. Sometimes I might make my work my meditation. I might be writing something, but that might I will I will bring in a certain state of mind where 
I just connect with upstairs and and just stay in that space while I work. So it's it's not something separate again necessarily. It's a treat when I can have my two hours every day. And there have been times where I've had that every day for a long time, and that's delicious. Um, sometimes my meditation is actually just writing up. If nothing is possible. Uh, meditation definitely i'm still hung up on this uh, feeling of there has to be more of a structuring when you are doing a lot any habit any other habit that you would like to call out um so a habit for me is really being uh, conscious that everything is an adventure i do talk a lot about gentleness and compassion for me that's a really big thing that i give myself um because you know it's very easy to pin yourself to unrealistic standards um, or, or when so many things are constantly shifting to beat yourself up that this hasn't been achieved or that hasn't been achieved. So for me, I, by my, you, I think it's good to be clear about what is success for you. For me, uh, seeing very happy faces on my children is success. For me, seeing my parents and my um my parents, you know, being in good health, which is of their own doing, is wonderfully uh, fulfilling. For me, seeing my partner feeling connected and loved is very fulfilling. For me, uh, my friendships, very close friendships matter. Um, and in regards to my work, I really, for me, the measure of success is how much service have I been of, how many lives have I touched so I don't chase the dollars, dollars come. I'm always looked after. So, but I do have very different measures of success. I'm doing business for very different reasons. Um, and uh, that's what I, I like about you. So you are running a business and you are pretty well embedded in the corporate uh, world here. At the same time, uh, the word that you always use is conscious and uh, compassionate and gentle. Um, most of us are not able to do trying to build a career, trying to earn money, trying to do a lot of different things. And sometimes it feels very messy. And, uh, you know, uh, as you said, emotion is fragile and, um, you know, I'm, I'm no different. I go through that fragility many, many times. And I think what I got out of this is if you are very clear with what, what success means to you and you keep in front of you, because we were not clear when the way we have been growing and uh, the job and everything is kind of trained by the society. We didn't really build any one of these things on our own. Yeah. So now when you talk about having clarity of success, what value you you really mean and all of those things, we are not really used to thinking that way. Yeah. This, this itself is a big shift. Thank you. Thank for you. There are last few questions. Okay. Quickly, I'll run through. These are kind of sure. rapid fire questions. Okay. Any book that has influenced you would recommend Okay, for this audience, I'm going to say Paramahamsa Yogananda, Autobiography of a Yogi. Autobiography of a Yogi. And another one, if you really want to uh, read, is The Seat of the Soul. Seat of the Soul. Yeah, The Seat of the Soul by Gary Zukow. Gary Zukow, okay. Z-U-K-A-V. And for those in business, Your Next Five Moves. By Patrick Bet David. That's oh, okay. Uh, I am currently reading that. That's fantastic. That's but it's really good. That's a third book. Any influence? Uh, anybody uh, you can say your biggest influence in life? My yeah. biggest influence in life uh, definitely would be, uh, and I know it sounds very cliched, but definitely my mum and dad. 
uh, for how they have lived their life. They're very, they took, yeah, amazing human beings and far from perfect, which is something I love. That's they nice. are imperfect, <laughs> but they are perfectly imperfect. But yes. also I say them because they exposed me to people that most people, you know, that it's Ramakrishna, um, Shankaracharya, while all our friends went off to, you know, ski or amazing holidays. We were sitting in various monasteries. Maybe it's not for everybody, but for me, uh, everything that has defined me comes from moments I've had in those spaces. Any parting message for people uh, who are in Australia or anywhere else they have left their home in India trying to build a career or trying to start and build a business? I think you're born to go far, but you're always trying to go back home. Home is not just India. Home is just returning to yourself. And I think who you are as a human being is so big and your soul is so beautiful that your journey in this life is not about returning home to a place, but it's actually returning home to you. So keep spreading and loving and living and growing and rising. That's incredible. That's meaningful. Thank you so much, Priti, for being here. Um, and how would you like people to connect with you? What's your... You, you can leave them at my email and my mobile number and you've got the, um, the company URL as well. So that's, that's I look forward to seeing people maybe in the personal transformation trainings. <laughs> Fantastic. Thank you so much, Preeti. Thank you for listening to the Empowering Indian Expats podcast with your host, Asan Ali. Hope you found some inspiration and specific learnings that you can straight away start implementing. For me, I got a lot from her story. I feel sending physical postcards while she was away was a game changer for her. I also liked her approach to getting skilled for being a good parent. I learned the mindset of breaking the hierarchical barrier in corporate setup. Her expertise in personal transformation is something worth checking out. It's her life work. She has created a couple of programs that's on her website. These programs have helped many people skyrocket results in various areas. That's all for me and uh, see you next week with another inspiring corporate to entrepreneurship transition story.